Have you ever dreamed about combining your expertise and passions to become an entrepreneur? My guest on today's show did just that. Erez Spicer is the creator of MachiningDoctor.com, a site for professionals in the machining industry to get technical information to simplify their work. The site offers resources such as a sophisticated feeds and speeds calculator for six different types of machining processes. It even contains a machining encyclopedia. Before creating Machining Doctor, Erez worked for cutting tools giant Iskar for over 20 years and managed a Swiss machine shop. But serendipitous elements, namely a love of hiking and a global pandemic, led him to an entrepreneurial path that we're going to tell you about today. This is Swarfcast, the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graff. As listeners of this podcast know, my family company, Graf Pinkert, has been buying and selling used machine tools all over the world for the last 80 years. Every day while selling machinery, we talk to owners of machining companies who tell us they want to expand their business through acquisition. We also encounter a lot of owners of companies who are ready to exit but don't have successors. This inspired us to start a new business service. Graf Pinkert Acquisitions and Sales, in which we serve as consultants for precision machining companies who want to buy or sell their businesses. There are a lot of business brokers out there who can list your company. But for the most part, those people are generalists. They may not have even heard of precision machining. Another unique thing about working with Graf Pinkert is that we often have a personal relationship with both the potential buyer and seller putting us in a rare position to evaluate if the two parties are a good fit for each other. Go to grafpinkert.com to contact us for a consultation to see if your sales or acquisitions needs are a good fit for our services. Mention this podcast and we will give you a free tabletop valuation of your company's equipment. Click on the link in the show notes. I am honored to be with Erez Spicer founder of The Machining Doctor, and also Israel by Foot. Welcome to the show, Erez. I'm really glad and honored to be here. Where are you talking to me from? I'm talking to you from Rakefet in Israel. Rakefet is a small community in the Galilee Mountains in northern Israel. In northern Israel. Okay, very interesting. We're, we're going to talk about Israel and lots of fun things. Um, I want just the quick 30-second definition of the machining doctor, and then I'm going to get your story, and then we're going to dig deep. So, you know, what is the quick definition of the machining doctor um, and your other business, Israel by Foot? Okay, so the machining doctor is a website to give uh, people around the machining industry practical information for their daily task. You know, getting cutting condition, information about uh, application, very practical stuff. How much traffic do you get on this? And when, when did it start? It started on, uh, three years ago, almost exactly three years ago. O o last October was three years. And today we, are, we have about 250,000 page views a month and about 100,000 unique visitors each month. 
Oh, wow, I'm so jealous. Okay, and and then tell me about Israel by foot, and then we're then we're gonna find out the origin of these things. Okay, so Israel by foot is something totally different. It's it's a website that I built to help tourists who come to Israel hike in Israel. I hike a lot in Israel and also around the world. And uh, I wanted to help as an Israeli patriot. I wanted to help people who come to Israel also uh, see the country deeper in the landscape and not just in the famous places where all the tourists go. That sounds awesome. I would like to try that. And it sounds awesome to have a business like that. All right, let's take it back. How did the machining doctor come to be? Okay, so it's going to be a little bit long, but I think it's interesting because it's... Uh... Give me the uh, the 10 minute bio, and then if it turns out to be 15 or 20, that's fine. No, no, I think it, it will be probably less than 10, but it, it has several steps. And what I like about it is the fact that it's something I really believe in is that things in life lead one to another. Serendipity. Uh, many, yeah, in many cases without you ma- making any plans. So the, the way it rolled out to me, I, I'm a mechanical engineer, an old mechanical engineer. I look younger than I am. I, I finished school. How old are you? Engineering. I'm 57. Okay. I finished engineering school more than 30 years ago. And then I went to work for uh, an Israeli company, which is uh, very famous in the machining world called Iskar, mm-hmm. which is a multinational company, but the headquarters in the, is in the Galilee in Israel. For tooling, selling selling cutting tools. Yeah, we make. Yeah, we make. Uh, we. I still say we. I'm not there anymore, but I I worked there for more than twenty years. Uh, we uh, design and and sell cutting tools, insert and and tools. Uh, I think today number two in the world after Sandvik. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pretty big corporate style company. I started to work there as a young engineer. I worked in production for several years engineering in, on the production floor. And then I left the company and I worked for about seven, eight years in a Swiss machining shop. And after a long period there, I, I went back to ISCA after seven, eight years of absence, but uh, to a totally different role. I went to the marketing department. I had a job of being the product manager for the grooving lines and after a while also for the turning lines. I did that for roughly 10 or more than 10 years. And that was most of my career. And and it looked like I will probably be there until my pension. But then things started to happen. What and happened? A little bit funny. As I said before, I, I'm hiking a lot. Also, Every time I take a vacation abroad, I also mix it with hiking. It's not all about hiking, but I also, also hike. A lot of these vacations were in Europe, and I was using uh, a book, a series of books that's called the Sunflower Landscape Guide. It's a British series of hiking books for different countries in Europe. And I really liked and connected to the, to the style these books were uh, rewritten and helping me to, to make my vacations. So I had this idea that I want to make an issue about Israel, like a book about Israel inside their series of many books. So I wrote to the lady who is the publisher of the of the series of books and I explained that I use it and I want to make something about Israel that I think would be really nice and in line with what they do. And she answered. They had mostly European countries or? Uh, yeah, mostly European countries. 
and uh, she answered uh, very nice of the email with a lot of uh, British humor. But uh, at the end of it, she, she said, no, we are not interested. And uh, it finished there. But the, the idea kept uh, knocking on my head. And after, I think, I don't know, maybe several months, I said, okay, no, I'm not giving up. Anyway, books is old school. I will build the website. I didn't know anything about building websites. Like, I'm friendly with computers, but I, I never built a website. I didn't know anything about it. So uh, I started this project hobby. I was, you know, digging around, starting to, to build the website. How many years ago was this? This was in uh, 2018, not too long ago. And uh, I, I didn't have any specific plans, just, you know, to give some trails that, and maps that people can follow. And I, I started to see that, that there is nice traffic and people were uh, giving me compliments that they used the website and it was very helpful. At some point, I, I saw that it's possible to make a business out of it. My dream was actually to retire at 60 years from Iskar and make a decent small side living from the website together with the pension money. That was the plan. Yeah. Do you have a family? Do you have any kids? Or Yeah, yeah. I, I have a wife and two kids. The, the kids are grown up now, 28 and 24. Ah, okay. So you're free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm at that phase. <laughs> I, went, I went in the opposite direction. You know, I, I'm 43 with a two-year, almost two-year-old. So when I, I okay. totally went backward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everything you know has every everything has a, the good, the advantage, and the disadvantage. We don't plan it. Okay, so you're sixty at the time, and no, no. then I, no, I'm not sixty at the time. I was maybe I'm fifty-seven now. I was probably fifty-three at the time. But the plan was to build it enough so at sixty, you know, I would have like a partial pension and a website. And uh, I was developing this, uh, growing this business as a hobby, besides my work in, in the hard work in ISCO. And uh, then came the COVID pandemic, the corona. In the beginning, like probably other people, I, I didn't know what's coming. I, I, I thought it's just something stupid in the news about China. I didn't take it seriously, but very fast, the hiking business went to zero because nobody was traveling. And I was sitting at home uh, in lockdown. In the so beginning. let me interrupt you a second. Let me interrupt yeah. you a second. So part of the business was the hiking website, and part of it was that you would actually take people on hikes, or was it mainly just an informational uh, thing? No, it was informational and organizing. Like someone would come, and I would uh, provide him with the maps, with the explanations, uh, book the lodging for him, uh, drop his baggage from place to place, stuff like that. Did you actually go along with them on the hike too? No, uh, no, no. Oh, I'm, okay. So like a travel agent. Yes, but very, very specific. And also a lot of information that you can just, uh, you could download the day hikes for $5. And also I had affiliate links with uh, agencies, stuff like that, that made some money. Okay. Uh, but most of the income was from people that I, let's say, made, made a plan for them for a vacation that was centralized around hiking. And I would help them out to do it, what we call in this genre, uh, self-guided hiking. Like they do it by themselves, but I help them do it, although they're in a country that they are maybe afraid to do it by themselves. I got you. Then came this, uh, you know, surprise the with the pandemic. 
yeah, the apocalypse. And in the beginning, I, I was uh, taking the, the free time to invest in the website. But after some time, I, I got the feeling that maybe this pandemic will be 10 years and I'm just, you know, wasting my time for something that will never come back. I, I was really not sure what's happening. I had a lot of free time because in the beginning, we didn't work at all. Then we worked from home. And after that, when I returned to work in Iskar, uh, we worked in the beginning maybe for a year, four days a week. And frankly speaking, there was less to do because all the world was very slow. So uh, I was less busy. I stopped working on the hiking website because there was no point for it. So I had the knowledge uh, about beating websites and I had a lot of free time and I was bored. And you actually used your free time, unlike a lot of people. Uh, I started thinking, what can I do? I thought, okay, I will build another website because I really like this thing about building website. I, I enjoyed it and I was looking for an ID for a new website. And then I said, okay, uh, the other thing that I know besides uh, building websites is that I know a lot about machining. So let's make a website about machining. That's how I got to, to start a machining doctor. Interesting. Yeah, so, so yeah, for me, it's like amazing. If I hadn't been rejected by this uh, British lady, I would never have started this website. <laughs> she, I have to thank her. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe it seems like you were destined to do something like this. So one thing was going to lead to another. Maybe you would have gotten your thing in the book and then you would have been like, I'm still going to start this website. But you're totally right. This is the way exactly to look uh, forward. I think I'm, I, I'm 100% sure without the corona pandemic, no chance. I wouldn't have the time. I was so busy at work. I didn't have time to think about, you know, such things. Maybe after I retire, something would have happened. I don't know, but... Uh, sure. Not, not now. So that was like pure coincidence. Destiny. Probably. All right. That's a, an amazing story. We have, you know, a lot of listeners out there who are in machining in one type or another. Describe the machining doctor and all the different things you can do. What are the most popular features on it and, and how people can use it? Okay, so probably the most popular thing that people come to use is that uh, a lot of uh, calculators, online calculators on the website to, uh, you know, calculate things like cutting speed, uh, surface finish, uh, power consumption, tolerances, thread parameters, stuff like that. Probably have now around 25 such, let's say, small calculators. Would this have been in the machinist handbook? Is that some of the stuff that's in here? Uh, yes, but this is like interactive. Instead of going to a chart and, you know, looking in the chart, you, yeah, you just type in a few parameters and, and you get an answer. Some of the stuff is, is things that you can get from a handbook. Some are not. But anyway, it's very convenient and very fast. But that stuff you'd need to do, right, you'd need to plug in the numbers into a formula and on this you put in feeds and speeds or you put in the hardness of things and it tells you exactly the kind of tooling you need? No, 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 not this type of calculator. I'll, I'll be more specific. For example, you do you have a calculator that converts between Rockwell and, and uh, Brinell and Vickers? Or you have a calculator where you give cutting condition and it gives the theoretical surface finish that you can get with these conditions. 
or you uh, select a raw material and the diameter of your cutter and more additional information about the application and it will give you a recommendation for speeds and feeds. Or for example, uh, you give a thread like UNC uh, 20 TPI and it gives all the parameters like pitch diameter and uh, everything for that thread. So this is the kind of calculators that that are there. I tried it out, but I didn't try it out on my phone or anything. I assume it works well on mobile devices as well. So somebody's out there in the shop and they they need to do it. It's it's pretty easy for them. Uh, It's okay. It works better on a computer. Yeah. But also I can tell you that from the statistic that that I can see on the website, more than 75% of the traffic is from computers and only 25% from, from phones. Is this the, the engineer has this, like is, is using this while they're, you know, quoting jobs or, or designing stuff? Or is that what you're picturing as far as your clients? Yeah, that's, I think, like the people who may be CNC programmers, uh, tooling people, uh, design engineers, and not not so much the worker near the machine, probably. Okay. And this is untypical in today's world because today most of the traffic is for mobile. For example, on, on my other website, it's the opposite. It's more than 70% on the mobile. Interesting. So because of that, I also invest less in making it mobile friendly. Uh, it's not mobile unfriendly, but to make it like super cool on ma- mobile, you need to invest a lot of work. And because I see that Almost 80% is, is from computers. I, I make it decent for mobile, but I don't go over my head to, to optimize because, you know, I have to decide how to use my time in, you know, for the most pressing things. How much do you outsource for the programming? Zero. Everything from scratch is 100% myself. Do you consider that? What do you mean? Well, I mean, some of the coding, you go to somebody else that will do some of the back end for you, save a zillion hours of time, or you, you prefer to, to be in full control? No, no, it's, I'm not a control freak. You know, in the beginning, it started as a complete hobby. I didn't know what to expect. So I just started by myself, you know, in, in the evening, on the weekend, uh, gradually doing stuff. And also, I learned a lot during making it. What I knew when I started today is completely different. I, I was learning so much. It was the evolution. Now, yes, I'm, I'm thinking about it. To outsource, I haven't done it yet. Only a little bit here and there, but majority I, I do myself. Because also I enjoy it and I'm not in a big rush. I have things I want to do. And when I finish one, I do the other. But uh, you're right. I'm, I'm not... Maybe going forward, it's not the right way. Maybe I should also outsource. Yeah, I mean, I know firsthand, you know, using virtual assistants, um, yeah, I outsource the editing for the podcast to some extent to a guy in Argentina. I have a guy in Turkey who's, you know, just updates my website, you know, the Graph Pinkert site. Other web developers we I've had... The guy who designed today's machining world, I'm not sure if he he may he may very well use outsourcers. You know, there's a lot of people they outsource to Eastern Europe, and you get these great coders that do a lot of the stuff you don't. India, India, yeah, they do the stuff you don't want to do and free up your time. But I understand the 
beauty of both. And it just depends on what you want to spend your time on. I'm not very good at outsourcing yet. And automating, I think, is the first thing you want to try doing before you outsource. But I, I'm too lazy to figure that out. So you said 150,000 page views, 100,000 unique visitors. No, I, I said 250,000 page views. You can tell my, my brain is on high power right now. <laughs> okay, 250,000 page views. And how many unique users per month? Uh, around 100,000. Okay, so how are you monetizing? Or are you not that concerned with it? No, no, I'm very concerned with that because <laughs> after I quit my job, if <laughs> I don't monetize from this, I, I have to put food on the table. It's uh, I must monetize. Like in, in the beginning, yeah, it could be also very little, but now I, I have to make it work. And tourism in Israel is kind of kaka right now. Yeah, <laughs> even a little bit less. Like my income without wars and without uh, pandemics was about 50-50 between the two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Without wars, you said? Yeah, okay. without wars and without uh, pandemics. It was about <laughs> half and half. So you, you have ads on the thing and you have a subscription. Explain the models and okay. give me the spiel on that. Okay, so the way I monetize now is that I have what is called programmatic ads, which is, uh, let's say, it's the simplest form for monetization a website. You just, uh, let's say, you rent ad space to Google, and Google puts whichever ads seems fit on the website. It does it mostly according to what he knows about you. Like, you, you know it from everyday life. If you uh, were looking for sneakers online and then you get you want you go to any random website, there is a good chance you will see an ad about sneakers. I know, it's so, so you, weird. You can, you, yeah, so you can go also on the Machining Doctor and see an ad about sneakers. And also it puts ads related to machining. But I have absolutely no control what it does. Okay. It gives decent money. When you have this kind of traffic, it's, it's, you can make an income from that. The good thing about it is that uh, you don't have to do any work. I mean, you have to build the website. But in order to monetize, you add one line of code that connects your website to Google, and everything is done automatically, and you get one paycheck a month. So it's really convenient, but there are downsides, uh, two downsides mainly. The first one is that, uh, in my opinion, it looks unprofessional. I don't like the, that people go to a machining website and see ads about, uh, you know, vacations and uh, I don't know, whatever. The other thing, uh, people don't like seeing ads. So uh, there are two things that i looking forward uh, I'm trying to improve regarding the way I monetize. And the first one is I'm trying now to get ads from professional advertisers. Not professional advertisers, I mean professional players in the market. You like know, Iskar? Uh, maybe like Iskar, like a distributor of cutting tools, like someone who sells uh, machines or oils or equipment or anything that's professionally related. Yeah. I'm in the process of, of trying to get those customers. It's not so easy. Because, it's not so uh, easy, and it's not so easy to make that much money from that either. Yeah, no, take it's... It, take uh, it from us. <laughs> <I> mean, 
But that said, we're not getting 250,000 page views per month. So if you are getting that, then they may be willing to, uh, to pay some shackles for that. I'm sure that I'm very attractive for them because they don't have too many options to get what they want to show in front of such a tax. It's very targeted. Yeah, really targeted yeah. audience and big audience. And the problem is that I'm new. People don't know me. And uh, these are mostly big companies and they take their decisions very slow, but I'm sure it will come. It's much more work than getting programmatic ads because you have to, you know, find the people, negotiate with them, etc. But it will look more professional and then we'd probably pay out also much more. So this is one angle I'm working on. Uh, the second angle I'm working on is... Uh, Two or three months ago, I, I added to the website an option to make a subscription. I charge something that to me sounds like really modest. What do you charge? $1.5 per month. That's nothing. It's nothing, but you get the, and you get the website without ads. But think about it. Uh, suppose everybody will pay $1.5 per month. Then it's uh, $150,000 per month. Yeah, it's not bad. No, it's not bad. <laughs> not bad at all for a website. Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose, knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast. And I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. But you're, you are providing a great value. I mean, I could see, you know, the way you break it down, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have people signing in, not a ton of people, but, you know, maybe a few, a few people per week are signing in. And I started actually because people were mailing me and complaining, you have a great website, but I can't use it because of the ads. This is really annoying. And I try to explain them that I have to make some money. I invested so much work in this. Something has to pay the bills. But people, you know, expect to get everything for free on the internet. And they expect to get it for free and they are angry when you're putting ads. <laughs> so, right. It's, uh, it's free ish, but yeah. Right. I, I know. It's ridiculous how, like, we go to an app store and there's some app on there that could, like, really help us. And it's like a $4 charge. We'd rather spend that $4 on a cup of coffee than. Exactly. You know, spend it on something that could actually really make a big difference for us. It's, it is very weird the way our brains as consumers work, particularly these days. But yeah, to me, that seems a buck and a half. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Yeah, so I'm saying like, if, if someone is annoyed by the ads, it, it's distracting. I, I understand that. And I, I, I give a, a decent solution. What else are you doing? You're writing blogs and putting videos on there? 
I'm not uh, writing so much. It's not a blog. It's uh, like it's a professional website. I didn't see any blogs, but then you were talking to me about writing. So I was thinking. No, no. Uh, I have some articles, let's say. But what I saw is that the traffic is coming to the calculators and other pages that have uh, pure information. Like, for example, I have pages that are very popular about uh, thread standard. For example, NPT threads or BSP threads or Acme threads. You go in there and you see the charts and the sizes and the formulas and the tolerances and everything. So it's uh, there is some writing in between, but a lot of numbers. And those kind of pages and the calculators, these are bringing massive traffic. And if I like, for example, I have an article explaining what's the difference between thread milling and thread turning. Okay, this gets very little traffic. Mm. I'm not sure if it gets little traffic because people are not searching for it. Uh, maybe I'm just not ranking high enough for that. Because for uh, pure informational type of pages, there is more competition than the technical data and the calculators. Because the technical data and the calculators take more effort to put together and more professionalism to put together. Right, and it's unique. I haven't seen any competitors like this online. Um, yeah, probably not. And not exactly. Like, I think everything that you find on my, my website, if you look hard enough, you can also find it in another place. But there is nowhere where everything is put together under one roof and connected so well together. This is, I think, what is, is giving me, like, the advantage. That it's very well organized. It's everything together. And because I've been in machining so many years, I know what people are looking for because I was looking for the same information. So I know exactly what's needed. And now I know how to make websites and I could connect it. I, I believe that pure writing about machining probably also has a market, but there are a lot of people who have done it before. So I'm not ranking so much for these things, but for the pure technical stuff, I, I'm ranking very high. Not number one mostly, but number three, number five, number seven on the first page. Not bad. No, I mean, it, it makes total sense. You're producing a product that you're using right then, here and now, versus something that you read, which you might use in the future. It could come in handy. It's delayed gratification. Maybe. It takes energy to read something. So it makes total sense. Let's, uh, One more thing. Yeah. We, we started to talk about monetization. So these are, let's say... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, I, w I was going to ask what your, your ambitions and what you see the future. There is another thing that I'm starting now. It's only in the planning stage. I haven't actually done something real about it, but I'm working hard to put it together is that I want to start to offer through the website to provide complete solutions to customers in, uh, who has who do machining and what I mean by complete solutions is I mean that I will get from a customer a print the kind of machine that he is planning to make the part on and I can make for him the tooling layout the cutting conditions the time study CNC programming uh, simulation on tools like Vericut stuff like that and you personally will do it, or is it going to be automated? No. If someone can automate it, he will be a really millionaire because, you know, it's very complicated. I don't know if it's possible. I know some companies are working about it. Not personally. I will get assistance from other people that I am now in contact with. But um, 
this is actually what I've done a lot in the past 15 years. So I, I know exactly how the output should look like. I know how to, you know, put it together. And I am working on collaborating with other people to do it in a good way that will bring, uh, you know, will bring my, let's say, expertise and expertise of other people that I know for many years that this will be done together in a very high level. Especially the, like, since the programming, there is a big shortage of professional people around there, at least in some countries. And uh, I think there is a good chance that uh, this kind of service will be useful. Absolutely. It just seems like a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. To take such each such project is several weeks of work. It's not minutes, it's not hours. Is this partly because you want to just use your mind in this way? No, I, the, the main thing is to is the monetization. I, okay. It's not so much that I need so much money. Is that I feel that for the long term, it's critical to diversify the, the way that this uh, website makes my living. Because it's very dangerous to rely on one avenue. Like now I am the slave of Google. If they throw me out, I have nothing. No, if yeah. the ad rates are changing, I am completely, uh, I don't have control on the ad rates. So uh, I, I want to be more diversified in the way I earn money from the traffic. I'm, I'm also thinking about making online courses. I haven't done anything about it, just, you know, an ID. For example, one thing that maybe it's worthwhile to outsource. Outsource somebody to make a course and run the course on the website, you know, stuff like that. But I feel that for the long term, I must diversify. Yeah, of course, of course, and keep thinking, keep scaling. Where do you see ChatGPT or AI figuring in? Um, is this something you're concerned about? Is this something that you see that's going to be a tool? You're trying to figure out how to use it to your advantage? Well, to be frank, about a year ago when the big noise started with ChatGPT, I was a little bit panicked. And not only me, the, the chatter and all the, you know, I, I know the groups of people and podcasts around the bidding websites, everybody was in a panic from ChatGPT. I got so uh, tired of seeing AI in my feed and I, I just yeah. stopped listening to most of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. So, you know, but because it was something I was building to make a living from it, I was concerned what's happening. And because of that, I also uh, try to teach myself how to use it. Gradually, I got more relaxed because uh, what I saw that at least for now and for the foreseen future, if you search anything serious about machining, you get a bullshit answer, more or less. It's completely off. Interesting. In my opinion, I'm not an expert, but it needs a lot of data, data to be accurate. If you ask it about something which is uh, written in many places, then he can, uh, the system can make some statistical assumption and we'll get the answer right. But, uh, you know, for us, machining is a big thing, but it's a tiny niche in, in the big world. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they also probably didn't do any effort to, you know, make something uh, special about machining. So it doesn't work really well. So I, from this point of view, the machining doctor for the next years is, is safe. Right. But soon some people will say, oh, yeah, the whole figuring out jobs and looking at prints and the AI will do the programming. And eventually one day. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in five or ten years. Yeah. It can be something that will affect me directly more. I'm not sure. But right now, actually, I 
I use it in my daily work, not heavily, but here and there, like uh, in writing and also in programming. What I found uh, interesting, the, the most effective thing it does for me is help me do uh, computer programming. Interesting. If you ask him, you know, write me a function that will uh, take two numbers and check this and that and return this and that, it does it perfectly, amazingly and perfectly. If, if, if you define the, uh, what you need, the input and the output precisely, it will write a computer program for you. So uh, this I, I use a lot, not to make the whole program, but to, to make like, you know, specific functions that I'm not sure how to make. So I, I ask it to make it for me. Another thing I do with it, which is uh, work pretty cool, I, I started recently also a YouTube channel about machining. And so uh, when you upload something to YouTube, you have to make a title and description. Uh, so I tell it, okay, here is the script for the YouTube video I just made. Write me uh, five options for a title and the description for the video. And it does an excellent job at that. No way. Oh, to, I'm, totally, I, I'm totally doing that today. I have to edit it, but it saves me a lot of time in this kind of things. Well, I learned something amazing today. I feel like I had learned that already, but it was one of those things that just didn't stick in. You, you have to be... Um, you have to know how to prompt it. No, yeah. The quality of your prompt is super uh, influencing the quality of what you get back. You have to gain some experience to do it uh, in a way that works for you. But in some things, it, it does work well. I'm going to try it. Let's uh, break off a little bit. Obviously, Israel, I've been to Israel several times. Of course, I haven't been there since 1999. So, you know, how can you really know that much about a country if you haven't been there in 25 years? However, to me, it's a little demystified having been there still. You know, I think a lot of people, they just see what's on TV and they they don't understand, you know, safety, danger, you know, what it's like. How's the war affected you personally? Personally, you know, first of all, like everybody here, we were shocked and sad and we are still, you know, I would say sad. There is some like clouds sitting above our heads, everybody who lives here, because it's it's a very difficult period. And also I have a son that is in the service as a reserve soldier. And is has he gone into combat? Uh, yeah, he's, he's a paratrooper. He's been in combat. He's been now more than three months in, you know, reserve service. So it's also tough to have a kid in this situation. Did you ever fight in a war? Uh, myself, not. I was not a combat soldier. I was in the military like everybody else, but I, I was never in the front line. So it's not easy, but uh, people, uh, we have this uh, kind of thing that whatever happens, eventually you get used to it. Yeah. Uh, so after a few weeks, more or less, you know, life went on. You listen more to the news, you are concerned, but, you know, you keep doing your, uh, your everyday life. From what I've heard, you know, there's so many zillions of opinions about everything. Israelis, Israelis are very diverse in, in their opinions about various things. Is this true for the most part? Uh, yes. It, here are the, a, a lot of arguments about... Uh, politics like you have from the far very far left even israelis who thinks that israel should not exist because we are colonialists so like this is the very far left and we have very far right people who say uh, we have to kick all the arms out 
okay and you have everything in between yeah but uh, the majority of the people are i think are pretty aligned that you know we are living in a super tough neighborhood i don't think you can appreciate from the us how tough this neighborhood is that we live in and the other thing that people i think don't appreciate is how tiny israel is israel is in the size of new jersey more or less that's the whole country so much noise in the news and so little and this really tiny place is surrounded by 20 something arab nations with uh, let's say a total uh, um, area more or less of the whole United States. So like you have a New Jersey surrounded all by the whole US who wants to destroy you. So <laughs> you, you, if you're not a little bit tough, you cannot stay here. It's not an easy situation. You can say, okay, let's be nice. If we'll be too nice, we'll not be here. Very quickly we'll not be here. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not simple, you know. For me, it's very hard to hear the blames on the international news about Israel. You are like uh, killing uh, babies. You are aggressive, and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, we really don't have a choice because the people who are against us they are merciless. If we show this, you know, uh, weakness and we say okay, uh, we do nothing, then what happened three months ago on October seventh will be just a promo. Yeah, I, I, it's such a tough, I don't know where this interview is going to go and we don't always <laughs> we don't have to put everything in there. I feel like Hamas, they kind of got what they wanted. They wanted a, a huge reaction. I'm not saying that Israel shouldn't have reacted how they did, but like they wanted a big reaction that everybody would say was an overreaction and start a shitstorm. Do you feel that way? I don't know. One of the lessons for me from October 7th and a lot of people in Israel that it's very, I don't know the word in English, but it's very arrogant to think that you know how they think. Because every time we we thought that we know how they think and try to get into their head, we are always wrong. That is a really astute comment. Because nobody here guessed that they will do what they did on October 7th. With all the big minds we have in intelligence, you know, and everything, they said that they want uh, other things. So it's really impossible, I think, to to get into these people's head and to understand what kind of logic works there. Because if they had the logic that you and me have, that they just use all the millions they got from around the world and they could build a Singapore in Gaza. Nobody forced them to dig tunnels and build rockets they could do something else. So I think it's a waste of time for us to try to figure out what they think and what they want because we'll probably get it wrong anyway. That's a really interesting comment. I haven't heard anybody say that and that makes a lot of sense. As you know, a wise person once told me that nobody's a mind reader. So so particularly people that act um, in ways that seem incomprehensible. Yeah, how are you supposed to know what the hell's going on? Why did they crash the plane on the Twin Towers on 9-11? You cannot find a logic explanation for that, right? Well, I mean, I think you you can, but whether you're correct, Lord knows. How has the war affected manufacturing and machining industry in Israel? Has it affected it? Is it is the, the workforce thinner because of people in the reserves? Yeah, the, the workforce is somewhat thinner. So like some people struggle, but I think let's let's say 
on the big picture, if we are looking, it's I, I wouldn't say it affected the you know the manufacturing segment okay. uh, in in a big way. Some factories have more workforce that is absent, but they can compensate for that. And uh, in terms of let's say orders and stuff like that, I don't think there is a change. You know, I'm not really in the market because you know I'm building a website, but I have friends here and there, and uh, my feeling is that there is no no big change. Do you feel like Israelis are, I don't like to say the word innate, but I will anyways, sort of innately entrepreneurial. Maybe it comes from the whole like, we have a zillion enemies around us. We have less to lose or, you know, the, they're the descendants of first generation immigrants. And it seems like there's just tons of entrepreneurship, tons of tech companies, et cetera. Do you, do you think that reputation is true and and why do you think that's true first of all the reputation is true 100 uh, percent i mean the, the, it's crazy the amount of uh, multinational companies that have uh, big centers in israel everybody like uh, google apple uh, intel uh, whatever any big name from the silicon valley has a big facility in israel what they say, I, I don't have the figures exactly, that this is the second most important center after Silicon Valley for high tech. There's a lot of startups from Israel, not yeah. just the big guys going yeah, yeah. to Israel. The, it's, yeah, it's two things. A lot of startups that some of them eventually are bought by the big names and also all mm-hmm. the big names invest a lot. And uh, manufacturing and machining is not something big in Israel. I mean... We have a few good things, but like this is not something big in the economy. The the big thing in the economy for sure is is the high tech segment, which drives the economy forward. So, the hiking, you said? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I said high tech. The high tech. And the hiking is a close second, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost. Almost. <laughs> so why do you think that, and why is this, what's the theory behind this phenomenon? We're, we're really smart people genetically. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there, are, there are a few books written about it. I haven't read them. It's probably something in the culture of the people, but I didn't give it like a really deep thought. And also, you know, it's an interesting question. Because it's sort the, of a socialist country at the same time. I mean, in the uh, way... No, it, no it, it was a socialist country, but it's it's totally capitalist for the past 20 or more years. It, it began as a socialist, almost communist country, and it gradually changed. But today, there's nothing socialist about it. Don't you pay like 50% of your income to the government and... Uh, yes, <laughs> but like in, in Europe, you pay even a little bit more. I know in the US it's less, but uh, US is probably more capitalist in terms of income tax. But let's say the 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 way people think, the way people act, is capitalism. Yeah, yeah. When you think of the word happiness, what comes to mind? Happiness. I don't know. Family, traveling. Hard for me to say. And, um, you know, just to finish up, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the machining doctor, where they can find, you know, stuff about hiking, where they can contact you. Okay, so uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there if you uh, 
put my name or write machining doctor in LinkedIn, you, you will find me. Uh, of course, on my websites, uh, if you Google machining doctor, you will get onto the website. Uh, you can go on the contact page and contact me. Uh, also, if you type in, in if you Google uh, Israel by foot, you reach my hiking website and you can contact me from there. So I'm not hard to find. And I'm happy with anybody contacting me. Are you still hiking all the time? Uh, all the time is a very big word. Uh, yeah, I mean, on, on, mostly on weekends, uh, if the weather is nice. Yeah, I try to get outdoors. Get out from under the computer screen. Yeah, something like that. Well, Erez, thank you so much. This was so much fun and so interesting. I really appreciate it. And I'm grateful for all the cool stuff you're doing. Thank you very much for having me. It's a big honor for me to sit oh. and talk with you and, and join this really uh, engaging podcast. I'm proud for, for being here, truly. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.